This is the Green Student Ministries High School Podcast of the Chapel in Green. We are committed to our students being known, knowing Jesus, and becoming kingdom workers. We hope this podcast serves to encourage, challenge, and to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. This is Green Student Ministries. Welcome this morning to really what feels like the first real day of winter. Um, Thanks for battling um, through the snow and getting here um, this morning. As we continue in this series that we uh, began um, last week called Doctrine. Um, And so if you have a Bible, I would uh, encourage you to open it up. Make sure if you have a Bible, make sure you bring that every single week. There's something about holding God's word in your hand and reflecting upon it. Uh, maybe if you have made notes in your Bible before, it, the, the Spirit will bring that to mind and you will be able to reflect on that and it gives you greater understanding and greater depth of um, what we're engaging with uh, this morning. And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to the Gospel according to Matthew um, chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17. Matthew chapter 3, 16 and 17. Um, and as you flip there, I want to bring you back up to speed. If you weren't here last week, Last week, we looked at our first, um, our first doctrine, and it's the doctrine of the Word of God, um, the doctrine of Scripture, that uh, it is the Word of God and that it is without flaw. Um, but here's what I would challenge you. If you, have not, if you weren't here last week, if you missed it, um, I would encourage you to check out the podcast because everything that we'll talk about from this point forward, all other doctrines flow from the doctrine of the Word of God, of the doctrine of Scriptures, because here's what it, really what it is. Last week, we saw that God's Word um, is 100% trustworthy. It is 100% um, uh, believable, and God is the author of that, and it contains no errors in the original manuscripts. And so as we look at that, we can now work through other doctrines and know that when we engage in Scripture that, that, that provide um, validity and trust to these new doctrines. We can believe that it is true. We can trust it because we have already established that God's word is without flaw and God is the author of his word. And if we believe those things, then every other doctrine that we hit, we can believe is true because all of the other proof that we pull is from God's word. And so that's the place where we have to look. So we got the basis last week of God's word is without flaw. God is the author of that. And so now as we engage with other doctrine, new doctrine, we look to God's word to answer some of the questions that we have and we can believe that they're true based on the doctrine of the word of God. And so with that being said, today we're gonna, um, <clears throat> we're gonna jump in. Um, once again, we're in Matthew chapter three. Um, Verses 16 and 17, this is what it says. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for, the, for your word that we can trust it and that we can go to it to better understand what you're calling us to, to better understand who you are and why you sent your son and what you were, require of us. Father, why we need you. We can find those answers in your word. And so, Father, as we engage with it this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would do what no man can do. Father, that, that there, your Holy Spirit would open the hearts of people, that it would remove the veil from our eyes, that we'd be able to see things that non-believers cannot see. 
I pray, Father, that your spirit would give us faith to understand these things. Father, faith to carry us to when we don't understand it, leading us to greater understanding of who you are and all of the things that you say to us and all the things that you give to us. So, Father, help us to to better understand these things through the power of your spirit. Father, thanks for this community. Thank you for giving us your spirit, that we can come alive in you, that we um, can be so overwhelmed it flows out of us so that others would see it and they would be encouraged by your spirit and not by our actions. So, Father, thank you for your word and your spirit's work in that in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. So my question this morning for us is, have you ever had something, have you ever had an experience or have you ever had something that you cannot, that you fully can feel, you felt it, you've experienced it, you felt it, and you know that you felt it, but you can never fully explain it? For me, one of these situations that I've felt and that I've experienced but I can't fully explain is the three times that I've been down to the Yucatan in Mexico. And each time I come back, we, I come back with the group that went, and it was like, man, did you guys feel it? And they're like, yeah, we felt it. Like, man, how do we, and, and the question always comes up, how do we explain this to others? Like, how do we share what we saw God do down there and in our own hearts? How do we share that? And I go, you just share as best you can. And so one of the things that I found, though, is when you explain it to someone who's been down there before, they're like, yeah, I know. I felt it too. I, yes, totally. I know exactly what you're talking about for those that have been down there before. But then there's other times um, as we in the past have promoted a trip and, and talked about in, in inviting new students and new families to be a part of it. There's always students that come up and they ask questions or parents ask questions. And when we give them the answer, it just doesn't fully settle in because they've never experienced it before. And so uh, one of the first people that I got to experience a trip to the Yucatan with was Steve Nowak, one of our senior small group leaders. Um, I got to be a part of a trip with him three years ago, and I stole from him how he explains it to people. Because he says people will never fully understand it. So his response, after he explains it, people, you know, they're like, wow, that sounds really cool. His response always is, why don't you come down and experience it for yourself? And some people accept that invitation and they go down and we've had in this last year, multiple people go down and they go, I see it now, I feel it, I've experienced it, I know what you were talking about. And it's because they experienced it, because they saw it with their, with their own eyes, they, they were engaged in it and involved in it, that they go, I now understand what you're talking about. I can see it, I've been there, I have some memories from that. And so that's the thing that we always go to is it's like, hey, come and experience it for yourself. And so today we're going to look at the doctrine of the Trinity. And this is a tough one. It's funny, for those seniors who were in the apologetics class, um, Craig and Dan just 45 minutes ago said you can't fully understand the Trinity. Well, that's true, but I'm going to try my best to explain it this morning. But the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, is one of those things kind of like my interaction with Mexico. For those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, for those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus as the forgiver of our sins and the, the leader of our lives, for those of us who have received the free gift of salvation, we have the Holy Spirit active in our lives and we better understand the Trinity. Now here's the other thing about this. This is not something that you're going to walk out of here this morning and be like, I completely understand it now. Thank you 
for sharing that with me. I know exactly how to understand the Trinity fully. You won't walk out of here this morning like that. But here's my hope. My hope is that we can look into God's word and we can find proof texts, texts that prove to us that the Trinity is in fact authentic, alive, and living, and that God is three persons. And so here's my other thing. My hope that with this series, it creates questions. And anytime you have a question, it's okay to ask questions. It's not okay to keep that question to yourself. When you find yourself having questions, write it down, talk to your small group leader, talk to your parents, come find me. Any adult in the room would love to walk beside you in helping you find a solution to the question that you have. And so ask them. And you may find them saying, I don't know, but I'll find an answer for you. Or we'll work through this together to the best of our ability. And so that's my, that's my encouragement for all of us this morning as we engage in the doctrine of the Trinity. Something that we won't walk out of here fully understanding, but let's gain a little bit more understanding it this morning. So the first thing we have to understand is that the word Trinity is never found in any of the scriptures. You can flip through every page of scripture and you will never find the word Trinity in the scriptures, but it is a word that uh, encapsulates the essence of what the Trinity is to the best of our ability. The other thing, too, is we have to understand that the Trinity is not exclusive. The, the talk of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is not exclusive to the New Testament. Oftentimes, people will point and say that's the only place that we see the Trinity. And the reality is we can find the Trinity in the Old Testament as well. And so the nature of this series, like you experienced last week if you were here, is it is text-heavy. There's a lot of different scriptures that we'll point to. There's a lot of places where we will pull out of. And the nature of that is because of what we established last week, that God's word is, in fact, his words. We can trust every one of them. So as we make statements, we're going to point to scripture as our proof for our understanding for these things. And so know that we'll be hitting a lot of different things. But the last thing we want to do is find ourselves doing what a lot of believers will do and a lot, of, a lot of people will do. They will find one piece of scripture and say, this is my understanding for it, and it stands alone. Every piece of scripture has support in other places. And so the last thing we want to do is what's called proof texting, is to point to a piece of scripture and use it in some way out of context and in, a, in an incomplete way to prove a point. To say, hey, here's my understanding for it, and use it in a way that's out of context. And so the hope is we use these proof texts to give our statement, to give our doctrine, but then use other texts to prove it and solidify it, to show that Scripture is one long narrative. It's all woven together. It is one piece, and not one individual verse can stand on its own. It's all supported by itself. So... That's the text-heavy portion of it. So the first thing that we need to understand is as we look to the Old Testament, that the Old Testament speaks to the Trinity as well. It starts in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. This is what it says. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God here refers to himself as us. And so there is a plurality of, of people there. Some people would say, hey, you know, what we're understanding here is, is it's like a king talking about the, the kingdom, we and us. But the reality of this is we see no other, no other form of this kind of 
usage of us in any kings of Israel. And so for this, God is speaking as us, as a trinity, as more than one person. He goes on and continues this in in chapter 3 of Genesis. It says this, then the Lord, uh, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. It goes on to say this in, a, in another verse. <clears throat> there we go. In, in Genesis 11, Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. This is in, as they're building the Tower of Babel. In Isaiah 6, 8, he says this. This is, this, is, this is God speaking. And he says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then he said, Here I am, Lord, send me. That's Isaiah the prophet speaking here. And so here we see in the Old Testament there's multiple times where God refers to himself as us or we. And we understand that the Trinity is being represented represented in the Old Testament. Now, as we get to the New Testament, we have a more complete understanding of the Trinity, and we begin to see that unravel and unfold for us as we look at that main scripture we looked at this morning in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. This is a place where we see all three members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, active and involved in the same setting. We can see that there are three distinct persons. As Jesus is getting baptized, it says, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. So Jesus, in physical form, is there. It says, and the heavens were opened, and and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descends from heaven in the form of a dove. We have the Son there physically. We see the Spirit descend like a dove, and then we hear this voice from heaven. He says, behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. There we see all three members of the Trinity. We see Jesus in the form of of, of a human. We see the bodily form of Jesus. We see the spirit descending like a dove, and we hear the audible voice. They hear the audible voice of God the Father. And so we see this opening up. We also see this in Matthew 28, 19. As Jesus is getting ready to return to heaven, he gives us the great commission. And as he gives us the great great commission, he brings in the understanding that it's not just for God. It's not just for one person, but he brings in the whole trinity. He says, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus points to the trinity there. He points and helps us understand that the Trinity is authentic, that there is Father, that there is Son, and that there is Holy Spirit. And so the, the New Testament, as we read in it, sometimes we can find ourselves interacting with, with words that, help, that, that, that may confuse us as to which member of the Trinity, which person of the Trinity they're referring to. But what we need to understand is as we look to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it helps us understand who is speaking about who. So we have God as the Father. Anytime you see Father in Scripture... Anytime you see Father and it's referring to, to a, it's referring to God, we know that as they speak to Father, it's talking about God the Father. When we hear the Son, it's speaking, I'm sorry, when we hear Lord, 
That's speaking about Jesus, who's the Son of God. And anytime we see Spirit or Holy Spirit, we know that that is referring to the Spirit. And this comes to life in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but in the same God who empowers them all and everyone. It goes on in Ephesians to continue to further uh, unpack this. And it says this, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so we see here, we see here that there are three members of the Trinity. First Peter speaks to it as well. This might be one of my favorites. This is what Peter says, who walked with Jesus, who knew Jesus. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. So he talks to us about what we know and what we begin to understand about the three members of the Trinity. And so here's what we need to understand. As I said in the beginning, we're not going to walk out of here with a full understanding of the Trinity. Your head might already be spinning a little bit. This is very different. This series will be very different from how we normally interact with Scripture. But really, what my hope is from this is that you can walk away and go, you know what? I believe God's word is true, and there are so many scriptures that support other scripture that I believe that this is authentic. When people go, hey, you believe in three gods in one and, you know, three person, persons of God, you can say, yeah, I do. And you have a, a, a understanding of where we get this from, from God's word. It's not just something we throw out there and we say, yeah, I believe this. And somebody says, well, prove it. And you go, well, I don't really know where it's found. The hope is that we can reflect on these things and continue to understand the persons of the Trinity. We can understand the Father, the Son, and the Spirit and gain greater confidence in our relationship with God. And so there's really three things that we're going to work through to, full, to, to, to better understand the Trinity. First is that I'm going to make three, three statements, and from those three statements, we're going to unpack it a little bit. So here's, here's where it is. God is three persons, each person is fully God, and God is one being, okay? Now, as I say those things, you might be like, that doesn't make sense in my head. Welcome to the, welcome to the family. It doesn't fully make sense in my head. But as we look to Scripture, we see that this is explained and spelled out in front of us. So the first thing we're going to look at is God is three persons, okay? So we're going to look to Scripture and understand that the Father is not the Son. The first place we see this is in John 1, 1 and 2. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And so here we see two different persons. We see the Word, and as we see the Word in here, it's referring to Jesus. So we see here that Jesus, in the beginning, was Jesus, and Jesus was with God. So we see two separate persons here. And he was in the beginning with God. So we see that. The Father is not the Son. We also see this further on in John chapter 17. It says, this is Jesus praying. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given to me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. And so we see here, first, Jesus is praying to the Father. Jesus is not praying to himself. 
He's praying to the Father, and he's, we see here that you loved me, that the Father loved the Son before the foundation of the world. We see here Jesus was not a created being, but Jesus was with God at all times. And alas, we see this in 1 John chapter 2. It says, my little children, I am writing these things to you. This is John speaking. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And so we see there that he's saying Jesus is our advocate to the Father. These are separate persons. The Father and the Son are not the same. They are separate. We also see through Scripture that the Father and the Son are not the Holy Spirit. We see this in John chapter 14. It says this. It says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. This is Jesus speaking. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all the things and bring, the, uh, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. We looked at this one last week. But we're seeing here that the Holy Spirit... Jesus is saying, my Father will send the Holy Spirit. So we see all three members. Jesus and God are not the Spirit. The Spirit is, is, is separate. In Romans chapter 8, it says, and he who searches the heart knows what is in the uh, mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And so essentially, we see here that there's a separate persons. There's separate persons of the Trinity. As we look to Scripture... So we know that the Father is not the Son, and the Father and the Son are not the Spirit. They're different persons. So let's move on to the second portion of it, that each person is fully God. And we see from Genesis 1-1 that God is God as the creator of all things. It says this, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think that if we believe, if, if we believe in God here, we understand that God is God. There's multiple times all throughout the Old Testament where God is seen as sovereign and over in, in supreme authority and control over things. And on many occasions, we see Jesus praying to the Father. So we, we know that God, the Father, is God. And so how do we know that the Son is fully God? We see this in John chapter 20, chapter 20 verse 28, when, uh, when Thomas sees the resurrected Christ... He experiences this, this interaction with him, and Thomas answers him. He says, my Lord, my God. He refers to him as God. It goes on in Colossians chapter 2. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. It says, don't get caught up in the things of this world. It says, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. It says, the whole fullness of God dwells bodily in Jesus. We see here that Jesus is God. We see that the Son is God. And the last one we'll look at is Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, by Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We see some characteristics of Jesus, and we see here that he is the exact imprint of his nature. He is the exact imprint of God. And so um, 
what we have to understand is, is that Jesus is God. There will be some out there, there might be some people that, that, that interact um, with you, that they, they believe that Jesus is a created being, that he was created by God, that the Holy Spirit was created by God, and somehow is inferior to God. But as we look to Scripture, we understand that Jesus is fully God. We see that from here, his likeness. He is the, he is the image and exact likeness of God. And so the hope is for this, is as you interact with people, and people, I remember when I first heard some, some, some doctrinal statements of, of churches. I'll never forget, when I was in my first job um, in ministry, one of the churches that I worked with, they had a, they had a, a core belief that, that God's word is the ultimate authority. And I remember thinking, it's weird that they would put that on their wall. Because I was under the, I was under the, the impression that anyone who believed in God, that all people who claimed to be Christians said, yeah, without a doubt, this is our ultimate source of authority. It is without flaw. There, is, there was never a time for me until I started to study and see some of the, the common arguments that, that some believers have or some um, non-believers have. I never, I never even thought that somebody believed that Jesus wasn't fully God. And so my hope is to begin to share these things so that as you interact with others, you may see some of the arguments or confusion or questions that non-believers have so that you can do what this whole series is trying to accomplish to help you better understand who we serve, to better understand God's word, its application of, on our life, but also for you to walk into interactions and conversations and be able to have some questions, be able to have some positive conflict with people, some disagreements, but to be able to walk away from those conversations secured in your faith, saying, I still am fully in belief. I still fully know that what God's word says is true. And hopefully for you to be able to say, hey, I remember, like we talked about the Holy Spirit bringing these things to our mind. You go, you know what? I may not know exactly where it is right now, but I remember when God's word said X, Y, and Z that helps me be confident in it. And so I know that this is text heavy. I know that we're pointing to a lot of things, but it is to show proof to the original text that God is, in fact, in three persons. And so the last thing of this is that the Holy Spirit is fully God. We see this, um, one of the first places we see this is in Acts. Jesus promises that the Holy Spirit will come. And in Acts, the birth of the early church, Jesus goes to heaven. He says, I will send the helper. And we see the Holy Spirit coming alive and being uh, descending upon the people, but we also understand that it is not a created being because of this portion in Acts. And Peter says to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? So what happened in this interaction is people were coming to the early church and they were giving an offering, they were giving to the church and, and, and giving it so that the church could continue to grow. And this, this man, Ananias, and his wife, Sapphira, they came and they said, this is all that we got when we sold some land. And they lied. They only gave a portion of it. They only gave a portion of what they got. And so here we see that Peter is saying that he, he, he's understanding that Ananias has lied. And so is why, have, uh, <clears throat> why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remains uns remained unsold? Did you not remain your, uh, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but you have lied to God. 
As you're offering this in the Holy Spirit, we see that the Holy Spirit is God. We also go on to see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says this, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Only God can search the depths of God. And so we see that the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For, uh, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God, because the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is fully God. And the last place we'll look is in Psalm 139. We'll go to the Old Testament to show that the Holy Spirit is active and alive and fully God. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where else shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. And this is speaking to the omnipresence of God, which means it's a, it's a fancy word to say that God is everywhere at all times. And this attribute of omnipresence is only of deity, is only of God. And so it shows there, it speaks to it there, that the Spirit is everywhere. And that is an attribute that is of God. And so we see that the Holy Spirit is fully God. The last place that will, the last thing we'll, we'll answer is this last part is that God is one being. We'll look at three places. The first place, in, two in the Old Testament and one in the New. The first one's in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, hear o, hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It says it right there. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Isaiah the prophet goes on to, to say this. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Beside me, there is no God. I equip you. Though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. In the New Testament, it says this in James. It says, do you believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder that God is one. And so here's what it comes down to. Like, we can see some, some proof here from God's word that God is three persons and that each person is fully God, but that God is one. And here's what you might be doing. You may be in and out, falling asleep, waking up, and not fully understanding this. But here's what we know. God's word says it is. God's word describes the Trinity in this way. And so we may not be able to wrap our minds around it. We may never be able to wrap our minds around it. You might be just flat confused. But here's what it comes down to. The way that we trust God in a greater way. The way that we know the Son in a greater way. The way we open up ourselves to allow the Spirit to work in our lives is to get into His Word, to say, I know it says these things. I don't understand it. I can't fully explain it, but I feel it the more that I have engaged in God's word in my life, the greater confidence that I have in who God is. And I don't fully grasp it. And none of us ever will. But what it, need, what it must cause in us is, is responding and saying, I'm not just going to sit here and believe something for no sake whatsoever. I need to get into God's word and I need to explain this because here's what I know. As even as if I, as I studied this, my understanding of the Trinity will never be complete, but I gained a greater understanding 
of who God is. As the Father, as the Son, as the Holy Spirit, and as God is one. So that's what it, that's what it must cause in us, a stir to say, I don't get this, but I need to dive back in. We're not going to fully understand this, but as we come together as a community, what we're going to do is we're going to learn more about it. And maybe someone will experience it and they'll be like, hey, come do life with me. Very much like going to Mexico and seeing it. Those people who go, you know what, I don't get it. I'm never going to get it. I'm not going to go. They'll never see it in that way. So if you say, hey, I know that we believe this, but I don't know why and I don't, I can't, I can't, you know, point to anywhere, you're not going to have as much confidence in God that we can have. So as we work through this, as we try and wrap our minds around things that we cannot fully understand, we gain a little bit more clarity. And like I said last week, we take all these hard things. Doctrine is something that there is, is very little places where we can point outside of God's word and prove it to be true. But that's where we need faith, to come and to fill in the gaps. And faith is the thing that binds all of these doctrines together that helps us go, I believe and I am confident in this, even though I cannot fully understand it, even though I cannot fully prove it in my life. You know, there's, there's some ways people will try and explain the Trinity, some metaphors. Some people will say, you know, the Trinity is like, like the three states of water, solid, liquid, and gas. Or they'll say, hey, the Trinity is like an egg. There's the shell, there's the yolk, and there's the white. And all of these are a good way to kind of begin to understand it. But the, 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 the deeper we look into each one of these metaphors, we realize that they fall short. So if that's an easy way for you to begin to grasp it, use that. But know that that's no defense that we have. Because here's really what it comes down to. God is the creator. As we saw in Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. He's the creator of all this. He's the creator of time, space, and matter. And what we often try and do is we try and define the creator with the things that he has created. And they always fall short because God's the one who, who spun all these things into existence. And so we can never use the things that he has created to define the creator. And it's hard. But my hope is that it stretches us and it drives us back to God's word, and it drives us to conversations with one another where we can work through this together. You're never in a bad spot if you have a question. You're in a bad spot when you start to say, I'm not gonna share that with anyone else. I'm gonna keep that one inside because it makes me look foolish. Let's talk about these things because as we talk about them, we come together in community, we come together as the church, and we start to see God doing what he has promised us to do to bring us together so we can support one another as we look to him. And so I'm sorry if, 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 if we walk out of here with an incomplete understanding of this, but my hope is that it drives us all back to God's word and in that, God blesses us with greater faith that binds it all together. And we can say, I don't understand it. I don't, I'm not able to explain it, but I am confident that it is what it says it is because it is from God. And so continue to do that. Don't give up. Lean into God and say, God, help me to see the things I can't see. Help me to walk in my life by faith.
Father God, that your spirit would give us peace in these moments and in these seasons and in these times where we can't fully see it. Help us to know that you are in control and you've revealed those things that we can, we can grasp and we can understand. Father, help our faith to carry us. God, I pray that we would stop trying to define who you are because we can't, as your creation, define who you are. Only you can define who you are when you said it. That you are, I am. God, help us as we work through these things, that our faith would grow, our understanding of you would grow, our understanding of how much you love us. And Father, as a result, we would turn to you and say, you are exactly what we need. Thank you for being that for us, Father. Carry us. Father, help us to believe even when we don't. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Green Student Ministries High School Podcast of the Chapel in Green. If you have any questions, feel free to contact us at gsm at thechapel.life or follow us on Instagram at Green Student Ministries. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.